So hello everybody and welcome to episode 3 of Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. Today we'll be giving you a brief rundown of the Bath game. We'll talk about sale on Friday, go over the internationals and round up the scores, as well as briefly touching on Snotty Snotty's departure. It's worth mentioning that um, we've had a bit of correspondence with somebody on social media, which is always nice, and Ian will just read out our various contact details. Yep, so for those who are trendy and like to go on their social media, our Twitter is simply at Folk on Falcons. Uh, Facebook is the same, actually. If you type at Folk on Falcons, you also find us on there. You can look out for, for us on the profile picture, it's the same. And on our email, if you want to contact us via that way, it's uh, Folk on Falcons at mail. Good stuff. Right. So so in the last episode, you may have thought there's a glaring omission being the departure of Snotty Snotty. That is because we tend to record these on a Sunday evening. I fiddle around making sure you miss out all of our... our... Oh, I've done it again. <laughs> I, I fiddle around with them on a Monday, editing them, and then we try and get them uploaded on Tuesday. So basically, we missed the departure. Ian's got a bit of background which I wasn't aware on, which is nothing but a bit of uh, speculation. But, Ian, what is it you think might be playing up things? Yeah, so uh, interesting this. I remember seeing something um, in light of the spin of, you know, all the, all the scandal with the barbarians with uh, Rob Shaw and the lads all going out for a few drinks and breaking the uh, quarantine procedures they had. Um, there was something I saw about Sonotti being given a call up basically to replace one of those players. And talk about how Richards or the club uh, blocked that basically because they wanted to keep him fit for, for the upcoming season there was something about him uploading something on social media, I don't know if it was on Twitter perhaps sort of venting his frustration at the decision or whatever it was and it was quickly taken down um, I, I just briefly saw that, obviously it's, it's all speculation I have no idea if that's true or not um, the reason was given personal reasons and you know the way things are at the moment I'm sure that you know that we've got to take that face value, I'm sure that's all true we can all, both myself and Philip and I'm sure all Vulcans fans, everyone doing the club can do nothing but wish him well for the future and thank him for all his great years of service Exactly. Um, when you say personal reasons, I don't know what went on. If it's personal, it's a private matter, but it is worth noting that um, he's thanked everybody for their support and he and his family are fit and well. So I guess um, whatever it is, it's kind of good news in a way that everyone's fit and healthy, but obviously bad news that he's no longer playing for us. In due course, we may find out what's actually happened, but then if it's a private matter, we've actually got no right to. So we just kind of got to take that on face value, I think. Yeah, yeah. Now moving on to the review of the Bath match, our first competitive match in how many days was it? Was it 200 and something? 200, 258, something along those lines. I love a long time anyway. Exactly, eight months basically. We'll talk about the wonderful victory in a minute, but it's worth noting that the squad we had, when I saw it, it didn't really fill me with a great deal of confidence. Oh, no, confidence is the wrong word. It didn't fill me... Oh, I guess confidence might be the right word because we had Sean Robinson, who is one of these people that is second row, playing in the back row. We had Fly Half and Toby Flood playing at 12, and Penny, who's normally centre, playing at fullback. And to me, that made me worry a bit. But then if you actually look at the, all these players, they are the sort of people where they, they do float around a few positions and they, they can prove themselves to be very competent. In the match, we only actually used three subs, they being the two props, and Adam Radwan went off when he got bundled his touch and got the other guy Simbind um, for a head injury assessment and he came back on. So basically we used two and a half, three subs in the entirety of the match. And I think just that's worth noting how how well these players must be fitness-wise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, the main questions hanging over the squad, wasn't it, in terms of the run-up to the start of the season was, you know, how fit we're going to be. Not just, of course, you know, physically fit because they've had no matches, but mentally fit as well. But I mean, credit to them, they didn't show any size whatsoever of that, any sort of fatigue or any sort of match, you know, or 
match rustiness, whatever you want to call it. But if anything, it seemed to be as the match went on, Bash started to show more of that, which was, you know, really surprising, I thought. Yeah, I feel that the longer the match went on, the more and more and more we looked like we were dominating. It was it was really encouraging to see, actually. Um, and I don't know whether that could be something to do with the fact we've had the best part of a year off to get our fitness back and all the rest of it, or whether it's just that we've got a very fit squad and they would have been very fit had we only had a month off like Bath. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I say it was really heartening to actually see that because it was a major worry, wasn't it? But at least, I mean, it's only one game, but it's certainly... It, that box has been ticked, hasn't it? I think we can kind of put that fear to one side at least. Yeah, and I guess the best thing about that was the final result. Ian, do you want to give a, a brief overview of the score? Yeah, of course. So um, for those who have been living under a rock or whatever for the past couple of days, uh, Falklands came away from the wreck with a 19-12 win. Uh, absolutely superb. And last week we were talking about if we were to go down there and get a win, the sort of three things we said that they really had to kind of nail down. Um, and those were discipline, organisation and fight. And, you know, they showed all those in abundance and it all kind of rolled into another word, which was mentioned a lot, both on Radio Newcastle, which I was listening to a little bit, but also on BC Sport as well. And that was control. And we really controlled the game. There were some periods of the game where Bath's quality really showed through, especially in the backs. Um, but apart from a few periods, we really were in control of the game. And there were basically, when the, a couple of years ago when we, we saw a lot of these games in the relegation season, after the first one or two minutes, it was quite obvious that we were going to be in for a very long afternoon. And that's something which I particularly was looking for straight away from kickoff, whether it would just be a copy and paste and we'd be really struggling again. However, I mean, that wasn't to be. Um, we looked confident the first few minutes and we even had the chance, didn't we, after only about three or four minutes well, to we get a problem. Exactly, um, which Conan unfortunately missed, and he seemed to sort of leave his kicking boots behind in the in the shed, unfortunately. Um, and then, of course, eight minutes, eight or nine minutes gone, Bath did manage to kind of get their moves together, fling the ball out, and they were very, very dangerous. And they they scored, and you did. And it was a very nice try, it was a nice offload. You did sort of think at that point, even though we'd sort of been in the game, you did sort of think when it got to seven nil that oh dear, you know this <laughs> this could now be. You know, we're going to sort of fall apart here. But they didn't, you know, they kept at it. Uh, however, there was that period, wasn't there, where Burrell managed to try saving tackle only a few minutes later, right in the corner, which obviously would have completely changed the course of the game. Yeah. Um, but after that point, we really started to, I use the word again, control, really gain control of the game, really started to come into it, showed all those aspects that we wanted to see from them. They looked good, especially players like Radwan and Burrell making really good hard yards in attack. And again, Radwan, really clever, clever, quick thinking in terms of quick lineup, wasn't it? Where uh, quickly threw it to Gary Graham, who, you know, dashed over for, for the try. I think, uh, on, on that try, it's um, well worth mentioning the build-up as well, because we flung it out wide and Radwan last year, he used to sidestep wingers for fun. This time he kind of half sidestepped, half ran through Cochran, a singer who's he's named, he last year he played in the World Cup for England and he went through him no problem at all. Did a clever kind of toss back inside offloady thing, um, which kind of bounced off a, a Bath player. Um, he was tackled into touch. Radwan kind of picked up the ball, saw Gary Graham five yards out. Here you go, Gary Graham piles over for a score, and then. The referee and the video ref tried the hardest not to give it, but in the end they yeah, couldn't actually yeah, see it. Yeah, it seemed an eternity, didn't it? Dear me. Well, it felt it felt like the attitude of the two of them was very different, especially the video ref. When Bath went to the video ref, they were trying to look for reasons to award the try, and when 
we went to the video ref, the video ref kept saying, has the line out gone five? When the referee explicitly said three or four times, I'm happy with the line out having gone five metres. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it just seemed to be in stages, wasn't it? First of all, it was, oh, well, well was was in itself legal? And then it seemed to be, oh, well, was was it five metres? And then, you know, was it... Was it grounded or was this person was offside? It just seemed to go on forever. But I mean, it, you could see quite clearly that it was a try, and eventually, you know, they gave it. Um, but after that point, um, again, we, we were the much better team. Uh, and of course, we, we got our second try, uh, which uh, was another one for about two yards out. Um, but uh, the point is, is you know, we we didn't muck it up, which I know sounds obvious and silly, but. You know, if if you want to get tries, you want to get wins, you want to rack up league points, you've got to take chances like that. And they did, and that put us into a half-time lead. And you just you were sitting at half-time thinking, we we deserve this. Uh, you know, as as we've said in that particular half, apart from their sort of try-scoring period and the try-saving tackle on Burrell not long after that, we, we were the much better team. And yeah, I, I mean, I have to admit, I didn't think we'd probably hang on because again, we were talking at half-time, weren't we? In terms of would the squad depth really kind of come into its own in Bath's favour in the second half. Again, we came out in the second half carrying on what we did from the first half. And, you know, we managed to work the sin binning, which was, you disagree with that, didn't you? I thought it was actually a yellow card. Just I, I thought it's, the game uh, is now, but for me, it was one of those tackles where on a Saturday afternoon at your local club, it was, a, it was a, just a good physical tackle, um, bigger bloke and a smaller bloke. And I think, it, but for reference, Ian's about, Two inches shorter than me, and I'm not a tall man. And we've both been on the receiving end of them, and I've, I've never felt at risk in any of those tackles. But as happens now, the, the rules are the rules, as everyone always says, and I guess players know what they are. Um, and the, the Bath uh, Ewells was simbined. But um, I feel that the, the only time in the game that we didn't dominate or didn't weren't the better side was when Bath flung the ball wide. I felt that in the centres we were perhaps rushing up a bit too quickly and being exposed on the wing. But having said that, the covering defence on the whole was very good. And the winger on the open side was quite often piling into their outside centre as they caught it, basically cutting off the final link to the winger. So it was only when those uh, very quick hands were a long miss pass they actually got around the outside of us. But the covering defence was, on most occasions, pretty good and snuffled it out. Yeah, and yeah. it was one of those periods you mentioned there when, of course, they got their equalising triumph called that, where, of course, it would be Matavesi touchdown the corner, exactly <laughs> how you said. It was one of their periods where they did manage to string moves together and did really stretch us. And there was a lot of open, you know, there was a lot of open country there in front of the line and they took advantage of it as you would, as you would expect them to, you know, obviously the quality outfit. Um, but of course that level of the game and you start to think at that point, you know, oh, you know, we're going to blow it sort of, especially we, we, we'd missed penalties as well, of course, prior to that. And then we mentioned the Radwan incident where you just got sin binned. And then there was that 10 minute period where you thought, you know, come on we can really maybe not quite put the game to bed but this is a brilliant opportunity and of course Connor left his kicking boots in the shed at half time again and blew what at the time seemed absolutely killer opportunity and after that point it was, it was bad for that period wasn't it who, who were really on top um, and it was frustrating that we couldn't really take advantage of the sim binning and if anything that they did much, much better, looked far more threatening that period. But it was after that period where they just sort of stopped and we gained control of it again. And then it, it was our turn to fling it out and Stevenson got a really, really nice smart try in the corner. And in the end, that was the difference, wasn't it? And you would have never thought 
in your wildest sort of wildest dreams prior to kickoff, the last almost last play, last kick of the game, we would be debating whether we should go for the uh, bonus point winning try. Uh, but I guess in the end they just played it safe, didn't they? But I'm not sure about that because could we be ruining that bonus point in the season? I mean, who knows? I suppose um, we can't be too greedy, can we? I, I think that the number one priority this season is to stay up or not finish bottom. Whether relegation happens is a different matter entirely. But I cannot remember a season where a bonus point has been the difference between staying up and going down. Um, obviously, if you get lots of bonus points, it makes a difference. There's, I can't remember any years when there's been one point in it. Um, no, I mean, the, I suppose, I mean, as we say, I mean, we could be a little bit greedy, and obviously they did decide to, to play it safe. It's interesting, Richard's comments after the match, talking about how they, he mentioned the, the miss opportunities with the penalties, and there's probably about, you know, at least 10 or 12 points that they left out there in terms of kicks. But, but having said um, that, um, Reese Priestland also missed a fair few, so... I know, did, there's, yeah. I know there's no, one. I, I know there's no um, fans allowed in the stadiums, but there are Dyson signs all over the place, and it makes you wonder whether Dyson were experimenting with some new fan technology because both teams, on apparently perfect day for rugby, were missing kicks at goal, and they weren't. A lot of them weren't close; they were a good three or four yards wide. So I just don't know what's going on. But um, Priestland and uh, Connor were missing, so I guess they cancel each other out in that respect. Yeah, thankfully, because as I say, during that period where we, we Connor obviously missed his kicks, Priestland had his kick, and you you really start thinking, oh no, you know we've blown it here. But then, of course, uh, Thomas and Lesser Dyson fan on the high setting or whatever, pointing it the wrong way this time, and uh, thankfully he missed his. But as I was saying, in terms of D Richard's comments, he also was in the impression that we sort of left three or four tries out there. Now, I don't know if that's one of those is in regard to maybe the one at the end and thought we played it too cautiously, but uh, I think maybe that's a little optimistic. There was definitely a period where we were sort of camped around there 22 and we, you know, we blew it at one point, but uh, I think they were slightly optimistic. But I mean, we mentioned it, you know, maybe we can't be too greedy. The, it's all about getting the points on the board and trying to stay up, isn't it? And what what a way to do it in the opening yeah. of the season, four points away at the bar. Fantastic start to the season. And then we go on to sale next week which is obviously different kettle of fish again as opposed to bath who've had very strong uh, traditionally physical side um sale just seemed to be able to run teams ragged at the minute cut them into ribbons yeah as we mentioned it's a completely different proposition um thing with bath sorry sale um is that they as you mentioned score a hell of a lot of points every game but they also concede actually quite a few points you know, they seem to almost every other week have a classic, don't they? Where you know they win games of forty odd, thirty odd, or something like that. Um, so I mean, the opportunities are there. Um, I think if if they show the qualities that they showed against Bath, they're not going to go far wrong most weeks. But I think against a high scoring team like Sale. Um, you, you know, you can defend as as well as you can defend, or be as organised as you want, but you know, they're probably going to score. And I think the main worry coming on to Friday is can we outscore them? I know, obviously, you have to outscore the other team to win a match, but do we have the ability to really outscore Sale? No, I mean, even if we defend it, you know, as well yeah. as we can. And I'm just not sure if we do, really. Exactly. So against Sale, the squad they've got, you're always going to concede tries, aren't you? So it's you've got to basically score more tries than them. And... It's very, it's a very different proposition to score more tries as opposed to concede fewer, and I think that's that's kind of the difference. It sounds the same and a bit cliched. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, you just sort of think, well, I know we scored three tries, and we could have scored four tries realistically against Bath, but uh, you know, I think Sale are going to be as dangerous as Bath were, um, flinging the ball about. Sale have had another week that they scored forty odd points. 
of the weekend and they've obviously got their gears in motion already you know in terms of their their attack play and they're going to score a lot of points I don't think there's anything we can do to stop them scoring a lot of points on Friday and as we've said it's a question of can we match that or of course beat it and it's going to be very very difficult I think we're with the, the certainly the currently fit squad that we have isn't it? I think it's going to be a bit too much of a tall order. Yeah, one thing to note, though, it is at Kingston Park, and the, I think that the artificial pitch does actually make quite a big home advantage. And also, don't know what the weather's going to be like, but if it's windy, once again, when you kick the ball over the height of the west stand and it suddenly goes horizontally, it catches a lot of teams out, and on the artificial pitch, and it bounces all over the place, that will be something we've trained with, because we now train on, on the pitch, or thereabouts quite often. And it's just worth mentioning that home advantage, I think, at Kingston Park is greater than perhaps some other clubs may have. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, there's, all, there's a cliche as well, isn't there, about the wind and all that, which is definitely true. Uh, but I think the, the difference is from, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, is I think we can be really optimistic in terms of at least putting up a decent performance at home to Sale. I think prior to the Bath game, you would have seen Bath away and Sale at home think, you know, my God. Um, but it's really heartening, actually, after that Bath performance. We can, I think we can be optimistic going into Sale. I mean, I think, again, it'd be a very tall order to win, but there's no reason why we at least can't go out and, and at least play well. Whether that's enough, we'll have to wait and see. But I think we can go in there really optimistic. And you mentioned the, the home advantage. I'm sure that will count perhaps a tiny bit some of those players probably used to play on plastic pitches and whatnot anyway but some of them may never have played at Kingsland Park or haven't played at Kingsland Park for at least a couple of years so every little helps I suppose in that regard and I think we can be take that into account and with other factors be more optimistic than perhaps we, we were a couple of weeks ago can't we on the hello again feature there's obviously the, 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 the obvious one Mark Wilson back with us now whether he's playing or not I don't know obviously he was missing this week but then obviously gone the other way season ago Hammersley um, I, I feel that Hammersley is a bit of a lucky lad to be starting week in week out for sale when, when he played for us in the relegation season the season prior you thought oh it's a really sort of great young talent coming through you know he's a bit raw but we can really see the potential here and it, that relegation season you, you saw these ridiculous stats where you know he made the most meters or something in the premiership but if you watch it week in week out it was because he would catch the ball at fullback you know then run up to the gain line and sort of make a centimeter or something or go backwards or whatever um and he never really made any sort of impression. I know, obviously, the team itself wasn't that great. And if you're, it could be a bit lonely as a fullback if your team's rubbish. I, I think he's a very lucky lad to be playing for Sale. And though, having said that, he, you know, he does score tries for them. He's, he's obviously getting picked every week for a reason. So it'd be interesting. I mean, I haven't really seen much of him apart from the odd game last season on the telly. Where I've seen a bit of Sale. I haven't really seen much of him play for Sale. So it'd be interesting to see what happens on his return to Kingston Park. I think that. If he plays like he played for us, then I'm not too concerned. But let's see whether he's improved a lot. And if I'm perfectly honest, I haven't really bothered watching Sale in the last year or two. So I don't know what he's actually been like. Well, not long to find out. Exactly. Um, the Sale match is on Friday night. And I think it's a 7.45 kickoff. Once again, it's on, on TV as they all are this year. So um, it's a good one to sit down to with your fish and chips. And those who may be so football inclined, it's also the same time as the football as well. So if that causes <laughs> more confusion this week, then once again, <laughs> there you go. One thing I'd like to mention that it's not just the Newcastle match, um, it's happened in the other league matches and also the internationals, is this bizarre thing we're seeing now with these centipedes coming out the back of a ruck to allow us scrum off more space to box hit. And I don't know about you, but it's really, really annoying me. 
Yeah, it, it's 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 kind of like an evolution of the box kicking that we've been seeing coming, creeping more and more into the game over the past few years. Um, I'm not too sure about it myself. Um, and I think in order to do that, I mean, you mentioned to me before about even questions of the, the legality of it. So I'll just give an overview of what it is. What you, what you seem to find is if somebody's got a ruck in a position and they're going to want to box kick it, um, as is often the case these days, rucks aren't even contested in the first place. So um, whether they're a ruck or not, who knows? But teams seem to put maybe two or three people all clinging onto the just the back of the shorts of the person in front of them. So you end up with a string of three players out the back. And then the scrum half kind of walks alongside the ruck and starts kicking the ball backwards through his teammates' legs to the back of the ruck. And to me, le- legally-wise, I don't see why a player is allowed to enter a ruck from the side without binding on and starting to kick the ball. It might be one, like a lot of laws, they're just not enforced by the referee, because I'm well aware that in pretty much every single situation you could blow somebody for a penalty for something. But firstly, I hate box kicks, so I've got a bias initially. But secondly, I just think it looks horrible. <laughs> it's a really ugly sort of development. Yeah, I mean, but it looks bad for the supporters. I don't think it really helps the, the spectacle of the game. But I mean, as I guess a lot of the time, who cares what we think? But um, I just think from uh, in terms of how you want to play point of view, I, I think generally... With box kicking, you have to be a very good team to 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 do it successfully and to really use it as part as an effective part of your arsenal. Because you've got to have the confidence and the ability to think it is effective for us to give away possession for well, territory. Well, what seems to be happening now is um, traditionally a box kick used to go to stop yourself getting charged down. It had to go pretty much vertical, but obviously not vertical. So you'd only actually gain maybe 25, 30 yards tops because the angle you, which had to kick it was so steep. Whereas when you've got these weird little centipedes out the back of the rooks, you can kick it at a much flatter angle, which therefore means you can make a lot more distance. And I think the logic that a lot of teams are using is, well, if we don't pass it back 10, 15 yards to a flyer half, he's a bit deeper, who's going to hoof it? It means that the scrum half can kick it himself. And that means that we don't have to actually gain as much ground on the kick because we've not given away as much ground in with the pass um it's a funny one um i'd like to see whether it's going to persist for the season because i don't know i've just got a hunch that at some point um laws are going to change or start being interpreted differently to stop it i mean it may be you, you could just get one or two games where it is clamped down on and once that happens it'll just stop won't it yeah let's hope so i don't like it <laughs> um <laughs> then i guess with the internationals this week Orlando once again playing for Argentina. He, or for, for those that don't know, Argentina drew with Australia, fifteen all. It was it was fifteen all and there were five penalties each team, which doesn't sound like a great match, but it was actually quite good to watch. Still, I feel Orlando in the centres defensively once again very solid. Attacking wise, um, he lost the ball three times in contact, which I don't know whether it was just one of those days or whether it's something we perhaps need to be a bit wary of but having said that the third one could have been a tactical losing it in contact because from the resulting scrum Australia conceded a penalty which then led to Argentina levelling the match um, so he might have known what he was doing and he deliberately knocked it on I don't know definitely a bias benefit the doubt there <laughs> yeah definitely the other games if I'm perfectly honest I've given up bothering with the the Autumn Nations Cup um, scorelines wise Ian uh, do you want to run through them quickly um, yeah, so, I mean, I sat down, I'm sure everyone else did, sat down to watch uh, England and Ireland, um, but with 18-7 at the end, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, with Two very good Johnny May tries, it has to be said. 
Yeah, they're absolutely exceptional. Um, I mean, it was job done, wasn't it? I think there was probably a frustration in that we didn't really sort of give them a good hiding, which was all, which would be nice to see. Um, second half didn't really sort of get out of our half really at all, did we? Um, it was it was sort of Ireland hammering the door, defended absolutely superbly. When they got what was absolutely no more than a consolation at the very end, it was a shame not to to, to sort of nail them, wasn't it? But. It's, I mean, good solid performance. I mean, do what they need to do. It's, it's a, you know, we, we've talked about this tournament before. It's there just to fill a gap. You've got Ireland in front of you. You, you beat Ireland fine. Move on the next week. I don't think that bothered really about getting bonus points or that sort of thing. I think barring some disaster against Wales and the way they're playing, but of course they'll be very much up for that. We should be playing what looks like France in the final, which I think is one they're really looking forward to because it'd be a great chance to get revenge on that game in a long time ago now in the Six Nations just gone. Yeah, I mean, it was a calm enough, confident performance from England. Uh, I'd say the only disappointment was really that we didn't take some more of the chances in the first half and maybe a, show a bit more attacking intent instead of kicking it away, which we've sort of briefly spoken on already in this episode, uh, in the yes. second half. Yeah, so uh, moving on to the, the Wales-Georgia game. Wales basically scraped an 18-0 win over Georgia, which highlights the problems at the heart of Welsh rugby, I think. Yeah, um, they were pretty poor, made hard, very, very hard work. Disappointing for Georgia not to capitalise on the few chances that they did, but I mean, it's probably talked about in terms of the bats, really. As a little side note of Wales, we saw uh, Johnny Williams making his Wales debut after a uh, fleeing, fleeing England, and you know, taking the the Welsh carrot there. But yeah, I mean, he was as good as anyone really playing that Welsh team. There's obviously some some problems there. I don't know if it's just personnel change in terms of well, playing personnel as well as coaching personnel. But there's something very wrong there. But of course, we all know they're going to be really up for uh, for England next week, and that's probably what they've been saving themselves for. But uh, on the face of it, I don't think they're going to be threatening us next week, and um. Hopefully, fingers crossed, looking forward to an enjoyable England match next weekend. And then the other match to be played was Scotland versus France. France were always a better team, only ended up winning 22-15. And once again, France had a few moments with quite good flair, scored a very good try just after half-time. Other than that, I don't really think there's too much to report from that game, was there? No, I think Scotland sort of have to buff a bit. Um, France doing the usual thing of being a bit sloppy with the discipline, giving away a few penalties, which gave Scotland a kind of a foothold in the game. But in the end, they sort of have to buff, especially in the second half, and just didn't really, I suppose, look like snatching it from France. I think France will probably deserve winners in that. Yeah, Italy will be very pleased with their performance, getting the largest defeat, I think, in living memory that they've managed. 28-0 against Fiji after Fiji, unfortunately, once again, couldn't field a team. Um, so therefore, Italy have got a bonus point win under their belt. But that, that's also a bit of a shame because it means that Fiji will probably end up finishing bottom of that group, barring a miracle in the last game. And therefore, it means that Georgia won't actually be able to play against anyone in the last match of the tournament because Fiji presumably will be still be prevented from competing. Yeah, it's a real shame that because I think we talked about it last week, didn't we, in terms of this was be a great tournament for particularly Georgia to kind of put themselves in the, the global shop window to show that we, we can compete, you know, against probably teams here like Italy or Fiji and to, to show what they can do. And I mentioned it last week as well how their coaching team was saying, well, don't judge us on this tournament. You know, we'll use this as a, I guess, a practice to kind of gauge ourselves against real tier one opposition on a fairly week in, week out, regular basis. And it's been a damn squibbery. I mean, they scored no points. They're not going to get their, what would have been an absolutely fascinating game, probably against 
you know, Fiji or even Italy. It's a bit, a bit of a shame, but I do feel a bit sorry for them. Um, I, and I don't know if they will get this opportunity again, really, because I can't see this Nations Cup going, you know, any further forward if things get back to normal, especially by this time next year. So it's a bit of a damp square, a bit of a shame for them, really. If I'm perfectly honest, I'm glad if it doesn't go further forward because Autumn Internationals are kind of interesting because you get the teams you haven't just played in the Six Nations. And I think it's just, um, yeah, every, you all know my views, isn't it? Um, if we just go to a quick roundup of the weekend results, um, on Friday night, Harlequins lost 33-3 at home to Exeter. Um, Sale beat Northampton 32-23. Um, on Saturday, at the Newcastle Falcons mightily beating Bath 19-12 away. Um, Leicester Tigers won 38-15 at Gloucester, one which um, was a bit out of the blue as well, just like our result. Worcester scraped an 11-10 win against London Irish. On Sunday, we have Wasps beating Bristol 23-20. I think that the two scorelines for kind of Newcastle Falcons fans to note there is the Leicester Tigers very consummately beating Gloucester and then Worcester only just scraping against London Irish. Um, what are your thoughts on those two, Ian? Yeah, so I mean, Leicester was, was a bit of a surprise. Maybe they, they really, really feel they've got a point to prove. Maybe listen to our podcast last week and we kind of <laughs> angered them a bit. But um, Gloucester have obviously been affected by the international break and maybe just you know these funny you do get funny results happening at the start of the season um whether Leicester will continue in that vein we will see and probably hope not um but I mean, credit to them that the highlights the very brief highlights I did see you know they're very good tries and look to be deserved winners so of course for reference everyone Channel 5 highlights program is on tomorrow night being Monday but the Worcester and Irish result I mean God, if you're a Worcester London Irish fan and you've got that as your first game of the season, it was obviously always going to be very, very tense, wasn't it? I mean, these are two teams who absolutely would be, even first game of the season, be desperate for points, especially against each other. The best we could hope for that is probably probably a draw. We almost got that. But I would have probably expected Worcester to have just edged that, but being at home, I think they're probably a slightly better team anyway. But, you know, these teams have got to play against each other. They're going to be dropping points. And the good thing is we're at least already three points ahead of London Irish. So that's something, isn't it? Exactly. Um, I think the, the thing that I found a bit reassuring about the Worcester-London Irish one is um, I've seen very brief highlights on the BT Sport app and... Neither of them look like good teams, if I'm perfectly honest, um, which is good news as far as we're concerned, because for that one, I, I presumed that one of them would absolutely demolish the other one, if I'm honest. I thought one was going to win it by about 20 or 30 points, just because they're both bad teams, and I thought one of them would have that cutting edge on the day. But I think, as a scoreline of 11-10 shows, neither of them really had the cutting edge, which, fingers crossed, continues the rest of the season on a selfish note. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell from one game, isn't it? And that game, you know, I suppose with our game against Bath, it was sort of all or nothing, wasn't it? We we knew that we had almost sort of nothing to lose. But in a Worcester London Irish game, the, the, the intensity and how tense that match must be and just the, the desperation to not lose it. Um, I mean, it's so hard to tell after one game. I guess we'll have more than I do after a couple more fixtures. Um, but I think if we, if we play, as we mentioned, if we sort of play like we did against Bath, and one of the actually the pleasing things from that is that it's funny to say, but we weren't spectacular. We were just really good and solid. And I don't think it's that hard to replicate something like that, you know, nearly every other week. If we play like that nearly every other week, yes, we, we will, of course, we'll lose games against really, really good teams or whatever but if we play like that we should be 
clear of you you were Sutherland and Irish as I would have thought. But again, it is very hard to tell from from one round of fixtures, isn't it? I think it's just kind of worth us noting that last week um, I predicted a 32-12 loss, I think, and I think you said 33-10 loss, something like that. So I guess I won the predictions last week, um, albeit by getting a, a slightly less wrong answer than you. So I guess 1-0. Um, what's your prediction for this week, Ian? Uh, it's a tough one because we were talking, weren't we, about how we think there's going to be quite a lot of points in this. I'm going to go for 37-17 to sale. Um, so you're going for the, we're going to get outscored quite heavily, are you? <laughs> I think uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, I think if I'm if I'm perfectly honest, I'm going to be a bit of a, a pessimist again and think we'll lose. But after last week's performance, I think we'll probably lose about 25-15. Um, so I, I guess how we quantify who's better if there's a score somewhere in the middle, we can have an argument about next week. But um, yeah, let's just have our fingers crossed and hope the best. Yeah, um, you know, as we've talked about, I don't think anything to be afraid of. Um, we've got that really good win under our belt confidence must be absolutely sky high and we can just kind of just go out and play can't we um sale like we spoke about bath you know they'll be looking for top four this season won't they absolute minimum top six and they'll look at newcastle this game where you know second game their falcons first home game of the season we probably think yes we had a great win against bath but there's always some rustiness this is a great opportunity to get five points in the bag for them um again i think he's not to our advantage and it'd be it should be an interesting game. I think it, be a re- it should be a really good watch. Uh, whether we'll like the result at the end, I don't know. But I think we can look forward to it. Yeah, fingers crossed we managed to pull another one off. So I think that's all for this week. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Ian. Bye, everyone.